Today is Life Sunday and has been a custom here at Faith Covenant uh, to look at the Bible's teaching on the sanctity of life. And normally we consider abortion and right to life issues facing our country. Uh, This morning, however, we're departing from that particular theme to consider one more pressing in our community. If we look at Life Sunday, the issue of suicide. Uh, You may recall a couple years ago, we took up the topic then as well, so there'll be some familiar things as well as some new from that. But to that end, we'll be looking at suicide as we consider Psalm 88. If you would join me in prayer for the reading of God's Word, a prayer from St. Patrick. Permit us not, O Lord, to hear your word in vain. Convince us of its truth, cause us to feel its power, and bind us to yourself with the cords of faith, hope, and love that shall never be broken. We ask, Lord, that you would bind yourselves to us today. Your power to hold us, your hand to guide us, your eye to watch us, your ear to hear us, your wisdom to teach us, your word to give us speech, your presence to defend us this day and every day. In the name of the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to be the kingdom, the power, and the glory forevermore. Amen. Psalm 88, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Verse 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved, my friend, to shun me. My companions have become darkness. The word of the Lord. This last year, we have seen a number of suicides in our community, both under 18 as well as over. And while the national average has actually dipped these last two years, the mountain states have continued to increase. We have some of the highest rates of depression and suicide in our nation. And per capita, Montana right now, I believe, is just simply behind Wyoming by just a little bit. We're always at the top. Now, some fear that talking about these issues could make them worse. Talking about suicide is not putting ideas into people's minds. These ideas are there on their own. Cultural influence, of course, can have a role, to be sure. But putting the issues out there are not what cause people to think about them. The thoughts are already there. And we know our own inner struggles and we walk alongside others who struggle with depression and hopelessness. It's not abnormal that living in a fallen world can push us to a breaking point. In Scripture, we we see that as well. Three prophets of God who in their great distress asked that God would end their life. Moses, Elijah, Jonah. The good news is is that the Lord himself has entered into our estate of sin and misery to deliver us, to bring us to salvation through his Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And because the Lord has provided for us the hope of the gospel, 
you and I are to walk in that light and we are to draw strength from his good promises, from his good news. So how do we put all this together? We start by acknowledging that we have entered into deep waters and we avoid simple platitudes. Listening to those whose occupation has been to help those at risk, they write, the dynamics of suicide are highly complex. Simplistic reasons to explain it and easy solutions to prevent it are non-existent. A complex problem with no easy solution. With that in mind, then, we come to the question of sin and despair with the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, without being simplistic on the one hand or simply avoiding it on the other. And this morning, we look at the word of God in Psalm 88 to examine a very troubled soul with a hope of looking beyond that to a timely Savior in our hour of great need. So looking at a troubled soul, we know that life in a fallen world can indeed push us, even the best, to despair. It shouldn't surprise us that the single largest category of the Psalms are lament. And Psalm 88 is considered the darkest and the most despairing in the Bible. Most of the Psalms end on a bright note. Two do not. Psalm 39 and Psalm 88. In Psalm 88, darkness is mentioned three times and it's even the very last words given in Hebrew. My companions have become darkness. Uh, the title doesn't give us very many clues as to what's going on. It says a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a masculine of Haman the Ezraite. We don't really know what's causing this to be written. The very most hopeful note of the entire psalm is in the very first verse. O Lord, God of my salvation. And then it just drops from there. I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol, to, to the grave, to the pit. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Depression and despair, they are not modern problems. They're human problems. This is written thousands of years ago. The same problems that we face today. All people have faced in all generations. And most of us have felt like this at some time. Whether you're an elementary student or you're an adult. Moments like this, they hit us. Or we see him say, like those set loose among the dead, like the slain, like those who lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. That loneliness, that isolation, the feeling left and abandoned. That's common to us. But what he says next is surprising. Verse 6, you have put me in the depths of the pit. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me or to them. He's saying, God, you're to blame. You've done this to me. We'll say, well, how is this in the Bible? Unlike other religious literature, the Bible is brutally honest about its people. There's no whitewashing. The Lord doesn't whitewash the lives of his people, nor does he try to censor their prayers. The very presence of these prayers in Scripture is a witness of God's understanding. Where is the hope found in such a dark prayer? 
He's praying to the Lord. He's coming to the one who hears, the one who acts. Remember, this is a hymn from God's hymnal for his people. This was sung by the church. This is a well-crafted prayer and song. Why? Because the full range of our emotions and experiences are addressed in worship. Notice how he he says in multiple places, he says, I cry out day and night before you, 15, afflicted and close to death from my youth up. I I suffer your terrors, I'm helpless. Notice how these sufferings are exaggerated. And that that takes place when we're feeling despair. we, We get out a super wide paintbrush and paint everything dark. We use expressions like always, this will never stop, continually, all the time, never a break. We speak in the darkest and most absolute terms when we feel like this. Darkness can last a long time, and yet that darkness instructs us. We, we see then and understand that bad things can happen to us as Christians. It removes a false expectation that they shouldn't happen or something's wrong with us. It reminds us that Jesus himself is a man of sorrows who suffered grief. And we also see that when we feel like that, we exaggerate our circumstances. We we paint everything with a dark brush. It's not true, though. Our own dark thoughts disorient, it blurs the truth. And we can then gently remind one another of the light and the joy of other seasons of life. Darkness comes in the storms, but the storms lift. They're not there forever. We forget that in those moments. And we struggle with why some people would take their lives. There are some common patterns among many differences. Mental disorders have some role. They're not the cause, but they certainly have an influence. Alcohol, opiates, addictions attribute to the factors for some. Not every suicidal person is depressed. Some are actually angry and vindictive. Many attempt to escape the consequences of bad health or bad decisions. Great economic collapses are are marked by increased suicide rates. Major emotional upheavals, upheavals are factors. Personal shame, disgrace, lost love. One counselor reminds me, he says, hopelessness can be both a source of psychological pain and a result. Me both. Hard to know. Particularly young people, they can fantasize about a scenario in which they, they turn the tables on the very people who hurt them. They, they feel in some sense like they're going to get a, a front row seat, as it were, to be able to watch all these people who are suffering because they're gone as if they're going to see it. For most, it's a process of descent. Over time, a a dark, tunneled vision fueled by depression and hopelessness bring people to these false thoughts that taking their life is the only way out. It's the only option. It's the only way forward. And those who are left will search in vain for some sort of explanation, some answers that make sense. But they're not readily present. At least one expert reminds us says the internal contradictory and labyrinthine state of deeply depressed minds are not likely to give us satisfactory answers. So what are we to do? 
The only real hope we have for anyone, for ourselves, is the good news of Jesus. He is our timely Savior. The deep emotional longings for for love, for acceptance, for understanding, significance, that longing is for God. We're, We're made to find ourselves in Him. We're made in His image and likeness. And even as we consider the dark tone of Psalm 88, we know that there is a certain dissatisfaction in all of our lives. We do live in a state of sin and misery, alienated from God, from one another, and and even from ourselves. This separation, it causes our, our us, our sin, and it's also caused by others' sin against us. The very last word of Psalm 88 is darkness. Sometimes it's translated, darkness, my only friend. Might bring to mind immediately the, the song, Sound of Silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. That repeat where we go into those dark thoughts and we ruminate on them, we think about them, we, we, we sing them, we feel them over and over again. This is so anti-happy ending. Our American culture, probably more than most cultures, we hate dark and sad endings. We are a happy ending people. You compare our films with French films. They always end with somebody dying. They always end blue. Like, ah, this is terrible. We don't like them. One of the problems of that if we can bring that mentality into the church. Years ago, I was with a group of pastors and we were planning a a community Good Friday service. And one pastor, he objected to having the service feel dark and heavy. Maybe just for a couple minutes. A couple minutes. He said that, maybe a couple minutes. But then we need to brighten everything up. And I was a little bit shocked. I I said, said, well, it's Good Friday, The one service in the whole year when we think about what made the cross necessary. And he responded, yeah, but we need to celebrate the good news. He had no room for Psalm 88. No room for lament or grief in worship. How much of the Psalms that cuts out? A lot. You know, the world sees this. And they call us on it. The world sees us that that's garbage. The over-sentimental saccharine worship songs that we can sing. The, the self-help therapeutic messages. And even the health and wealth gospel that we've exported to other countries that have no room for the realities of crushed lives. But the lie of prosperity and goodness if you have enough faith or or send somebody some money. The world sees that. And they know what it is. It's not an accident that Psalm 88 has been considered the psalm of Jesus' passion. We read this at our Good Friday service, that Christians have universally read through this psalm and have seen the suffering of Christ in it. That he was the truly abandoned one. That he was the one who went to the depths for us. 
Because the Lord would not allow our sin to be the final deal breaker of his covenant with us. The Son of God entered into our state of sin and misery, not to sympathize with us, but to take it upon himself, the full weight of it, so that in the end he would crush death once and for all. In our despair of life, we can descend into a spiral of helplessness, hopelessness, powerlessness, worthlessness. And Jesus addresses each one of these. We're not powerless in him. If we are in Christ, his spirit abides in us. He is the resurrection and the life. That's why Paul can say in Romans 15, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in you in hope. My value, it comes from him. I am not worthless. I'm being remade in his image. Paul again in Romans 8, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Psalm 88 and the other lament psalms. It reminds us, unrelieved suffering may fall to us. But it's never the final word. Even while it might be a possibility. It reminds us that we are a pilgrim people here. We wait for the day when all things will be made new. And we bring our darkest moments to the Lord in prayer, in worship, and do not give in. We, we hear verse 1, set the tone of our cry. O Lord, God of my salvation. That sets the tone for everything that follows. That he can come and, and pour out his heart to the Lord. And we recognize that suicide is indeed a grievous sin. But it also falls under the power of the cross, the redemption purchased by Christ. And as Christians, we are called to live that cross-centered life. Now, I know in one sermon, there's no way to cover all the complexities of such an issue. But the answer will still always be the same. The person and work of Jesus Christ is our only hope, our only means of salvation. He was tempted like us in every way that we were yet without sin. And he did what we could not do. He laid down his life for us so that we would have life in him. And so with the psalmist, we can come to the Lord in worship. We can use the very words of scripture to give description to our own pain and hurt. Unafraid to lay anything before him. Allow his words of truth to reshape our hearts, to challenge our thinking, to let the light shine into our darkness. Paul tells us in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let his truth then change, transform our thinking. Our, our value, it comes from him. Our hope comes from him. And in breaking out of suicidal thoughts, a whole new way of thinking has to be addressed. And the way of addressing that thinking for all of us comes as we allow the Lord to change us. We are to give real hope because we have it. We worship with the whole range of human experiences and emotions. We do not accept a church culture that only allows happy clappy. 
We do not accept shallow truths for complex problems. We then bring others into our lives. We share their burdens. We're called to do that. To bear and share burdens with one another. And always we point one another to Jesus. The one who lived the dark night of the soul to its fullest and uttermost. So that you and I would be brought to the light of his salvation. George Herbert was a pastor in the 1600s. He's considered an outstanding English poet. And he wrote a poem on the dawning morning. And this stanza captures a beautiful truth. He said, Awake, sad heart, whom sorrow ever drowns. Take up thine eyes which feed on earth. Unfold thy forehead, gathered into frowns. Thy Savior comes and with mirth. Awake, awake. A call for us to awake our hearts in Christ. Our, our focus on the ground. We look up. That's one of the hardest things to do when you're feeling down and hopeless. We turn it all inward. It's to help one another to look out. To see there is a dawning of a new day in the Lord. We're not left to sin and misery The gospel is indeed good news. Even if there are long seasons of suffering, it doesn't necessarily remove the immediacy of that. But it gives us a light and a lift and a buoyancy of the truth that is shared with one another. That we as the people of God the privilege of walking with one another through even these dark moments, these wrestlings of a very depressed, distressed soul. Brothers and sisters, as we look around us and we think, what does our community need in its hour of need? I tell you, it is not platitudes and happy clappy. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the good news that only he can bring into the world's darkness. Last week, we we celebrated Epiphany, the light of the world. We take that light and we go and bring it to others. We live that light in the fullness of, of human emotion and experience, not afraid to be able to come with some of these hard sayings to the Lord. Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Because it was his son whom the Lord hid his face from. It was his son that bore the weight of existential darkness so that we would have the light of life in him. Let us rejoice in his light. Pray with me. Father, we bless you. We thank you. For indeed, the good news of Jesus Christ goes out into the world. And and Father, we need that good news. And and Lord, I would pray for, I know there are some here who are walking through troubled waters, through their own dark night of the soul. And God, I pray that you would sustain them with the hope of Jesus. Father, that you would lift them up, that they would know times of refreshment. They would know breaks and chinks in that wall of absolute darkness and see that it is not the truth. But, Father, that your truth would prevail, that your truth would change hearts and minds. 
Father, thank you that you have not abandoned us, but that you have come to us in the fullness of time to bring the good news of your Savior to us. We bless you for that in his mighty name. Amen.